Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast presented by Zwift. Triple caution, triple header. There's actually like five races on today. There's Genvevelheim men and women's, the final stage at Catalonia. There's also GP Industry and Nagy Donato, but that one, <laughs> I'm not sure many people watched. We'll be focusing mainly on Genvevelheim, the big World Tour one-day race, whether it's it's a classic. But as a reminder, during this classics period, Swift are now the named sponsor of Paris-Roubaix Femme Avex Swift, not just the Tour de France Femme Avex Swift coming to life for the first time this year, Paris-Roubaix Femme, which is in a couple of weeks on the Saturday, which I love it being on its own day, it builds up a whole weekend of Paris-Roubaix hype. If you want to check out Swift, the online cycling platform that makes training fun, it's worked wonders for me over the winter here in Andorra. You can go to Swift.com for your free seven-day trial. You can try it on iPad, phone, computer, whatever, anything with a Bluetooth connection. Connecting to a smart trainer will work. It's more different to E3. E3, I cannot distinguish between that and the Tour of Flanders, but for an extra 50-kilometer transition to the circuit, this actually is different. They have the Plugstraats, they have the Kemmelberg. It starts in Ypres and finishes in Wevelheim. It has this open area called Demuren at the first third of the race where there's crosswinds, which often splits the race before the broadcast even starts. We've seen in previous years and then they have the Monteberg, Barneberg, Scherpenberg, Kemmelberg, which are a little bit longer than some of the E3 climbs. The Kemmelberg is the steepest one from the Ossuer side, 700 metres at 11%, but it crests like 35 kilometres from the finish. Last year, we saw Van Aert win from a small group uh, containing called Brelli, Matthews, Nizzolo and the like, but... This year, he's got reinforcements and I think a stronger start list with Trek bringing Pedersen, Sturven and co. But the Murin Benji, a man on the ground. Yeah. What was the, what was the exact kilometre an hour crosswind? Oh, I think it was relatively low. But the thing is, like, this is the first time in forever that this race has a live broadcast when the Murin section is in the Andwebel game. Last year, we complained that we didn't see it. This year, they got it, the live broadcast, and there's no bloody wind. Oh my God, we jinxed it. We bloody well jinxed it. <laughs> and it was sad because the hype on sports that was still trying to like figure out, is there going to be wind? Is there not going to be wind? Until the guy on the motorbike said, there's no wind, guys. Give up. <laughs> so uh, in the end, no wind in the Murin. And they still did the sprint towards the Murin just in case. And when they came there, it was like, okay, let's not do anything anymore. Let's just ride the same normal tempo as in a sprint stage and prep ourselves for the hills as though those bergs will be doing the difference today and not the Demurin section. And that's actually what we saw happening. And we moved towards those hill parts of the race and we started noticing that certain teams wanted to get something out of this race, which is pretty obvious. Trek was trying to position himself very well at the front. Jumbo was trying to do so as well, but I've got a feeling that they weren't as well positioned in this race for the hills 
than they were in uh, E3. Am I wrong in that? Yeah, definitely not like using Turnison or whoever. And I think maybe they're missing, missing Van der Sander. Not so sure if he was on this start list before his injury after the crash at E3. But yeah, you're right. They were, I think, I think Laporte got more of a free roll today. I think yep. it was true co-leadership with Van Aert because Van Aert's not the favorite in a sprint against Pedersen and Philipsen Merlier. No way he is in his current sprinting form that we've seen this year. And we have a headwind after the final camel, and that's 35 k's to go. So a solo move. I know he did it on loop, but 35 into a headwind with big group. So they had to have Laporte. And I think so Laporte was, I think he's been really important for Wout, not just in getting into two, two guys clear, but get, he's been helping Van Aert get to the base of climb. So yeah, that's, that's the difference. Maybe I just made that up. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, Trek were really assertive compared to other races. I thought it was a bit of a mistake, Benji, because they should want to sprint. Pedersen's super fast. Yeah, I think so as well. I think their goal was first putting pressure on the likes of Fabio Jakobsen in this race, because let's be honest, if the pressure is not there, then Jakobsen could potentially get over hills if it's really damn boring this race <laughs> but it wasn't necessarily being that because we saw some pressure on the first hills already i think it was timo rosen that was pacing with wout van Aert on the on the wheel on the barnabet on the first time they go over that on the uh, first time they get into those hilly sections but there were some splits some damage in the group and it really waited until we got to the camelbet before a group started arising and it was a pretty intriguing group right it wasn't necessarily on the camelbet but i thought it was behind that some kind of group just started forming by five riders on the left, five riders on the right. And eventually, Wout Fanard was not in it. And I was intrigued by that because two Yumbo riders were in it. And from the helicopter view, Fanard wasn't even in like the first two groups at that point. So I don't know if he had anything when it comes to an issue or something, because I would have argued he would have been a, in a decent position, at least at that point. But hey, we got Mike Turnison and Nathan von Hoydonk in that front group for Yumbo, Wout Fanard in the back. Who else was in that group in the front group, do you think? Jamar. Asgren, Morich, Campanats. It was a strong group. I don't think Trek had Pedersen there. That would have been big alarm bells for Jumbo Visma. It was, I don't know, I was surprised to see Asgren. They paced for a while. They were 30 seconds ahead of the group, and I think it played out perfectly for Jumbo because they had Camelbergs coming up. They had the really fast sprinters with them, and now they have a group of rulers ahead that Wout van Aert can bridge to on the next couple of Kemmelbergs. So I thought Campanats and Asger and, and Moritz would go all in at that point because, yeah, that's the way you can win the race. They didn't. FDJ were pacing, um, and it actually came back before the major climbs. So... Yep. I don't know who else was in that group. It was it was like two intermarche riders as well. It was a big group, um, but it was total pacing behind. They did yeah. a great job. I think so as well. Dries van Gestel was doing loads of work, and then next to that, Bosenhagen did some work as well. He dropped off the bag. Dries van Gestel stayed on, and uh, I think that was for Tuji that they were doing that. Meanwhile, we saw Beggs doing some stuff as well, bike exchange when it comes to the pacing there, before we got to those plug streets between the hills and eventually Hironovagen punctured, so their race was over in that way. And afterwards, we went to the hills once again. And like this is where it becomes interesting, because the groups came back together because of the pacing of, for example, Total, but also the cooperation in the front group being a bit shit, to be honest, because the Umbro riders aren't going to 
right all, all around because at a certain point, Mike Turnison took a corner so slow that I swear I could have followed him. So I think that's not really cooperating that well. That's knowing that this group is doomed from that point onwards. And the rest was like, okay, well, we're not going to do that much either. Some riders tried to go with a move again, but in the end, it became one group again before we head to the uh, bigger climbs. There was one rider that attacked before the hills actually started, Arden Lee Vance, who actually did a, a wonderful job with that because he might end up with the riders that actually attack on those hills after the hills. Spoilers. And, um, and who was the rider? Yeah. Okay. You're right. Benoit. Yumbo were aggressive getting riders up the road. I don't think that they wanted to have. I think the idea was let's get Bernard or Laporte or Mike or Nathan van Hoydonk into a group of 10 that doesn't have Pedersen and Wout can bridge on Kemmelberg and then repeat last year. I think that was the plan. And it didn't work out that way. Were you surprised to see Pedersen Benji marking Bernard before the final Kemmel? blunting his legs yeah that was not really what i would have thought to do if i was him in that situation because like you've got domestique switch you still steven is in that group and other riders yeah steven is probably more of a co-leader than a full domestique but there's other riders in that group still that can support him and he's responding to uh an attack on the barneberg again the second time they go over that with Benoit and outsider attacking and it's honestly bait. I don't get that it's indeed it's it's bay to have him spend his energy Wout was sitting 20 wheel at that point in the group just following wheels and in the end you know that once Benoit is caught by Peterson he's not going to keep riding with Peterson so at that point Peterson will have to ride himself or just be caught again so there's no value in that following for me when it comes to uh his perspective on that situation and it really uh went to one group again. There was damage then because Jakobsen actually dropped at that point, basically. And we went towards the uh, final Kelmerberg, which was the uh, steepest one because the first two are a different side than the uh, last one. And I already had trouble climbing the first one, so the second one must be pretty difficult. But uh, when it comes to that, who are the ones doing the action on that? Laporte, best position at the base. Wow, for not, horrendous position, <laughs> uh, like 25th wheel and... He full sent it. He, I don't know what time he did on the camel compared to last year, but huge attack from behind Asker and, and just torched everybody. If he'd been in good position, maybe this could have been a different race, but he didn't have a huge gap at the top. Laporte was following with a group of Asgren, Morich, Pedersen, the big names in that group. And he's got 35 Ks of sort of cross headwind facing him. You need a huge gap. You need then every other team behind not to chase, which yeah. with FTJ with Kung, with uh, I think Philipson there, with Intermarche, that was a tall order. He got caught and Benoit was there as well. And then he did the same thing he did the other day. He started like attacking on the front, dropping uh, Laporte and Benoit, which was, was curious. Anyway, it pretty much all comes back together and we think we're going to have a 23, 14, 13, Wevelhem repeat, 70-man bunch sprint. And Yumbo didn't want that. And it's I think it was fantastic because Philipson, Pedersen, Germay, you name it, Merlier rather, I give Wout like 10% chance of beating them. Yes, yep. Maybe that's harsh, but maybe 10%. So they attacked with Laporte. Germay bridged, Sturven bridge. And Dries van Hestel went 
and it was all on FDJ to chase. Did you think when that went, Benji, I, hand on heart, I thought, I thought Germain was overreacting again. I, I thought he was doing what he did the other day and because I, I really rated him for the sprint, more fool me, this group got 30 seconds very fast. Should the teams behind have helped FTJ? No one helped them for 20 minutes. So at first, when it comes to Girmay, yes, he certainly has an experience and showed that at E3 when it comes to jumping with too many uh, groups. But today he kept himself a bit lower on the hills and he tried to attack, like you said, with Laporte afterwards. Is that a bit too much? We'll see if it works or not, I guess. But um, at that point, like you said, FDJ takes that on. And I was curious because Merlir and Johnny uh, Vermeers came back with another group. And at that point, Merlir and Philipson were both in that group chasing. Well, not chasing, actually, because Vermeers was doing all the chasing together with FDJ. And at that point, I thought, well, at some point, these two are going to have to make a decision. Merlir pacing for Philipson or Philipson pacing for Merlir. And they did not make it a decision. I did not see either of them pacing for the other until Merlier came to the front in the final, like, five-ish kilometers at which the group was still ahead. And how much time was there at that point? 30, 20 seconds? It was still close. 32, 35 seconds, but Kuhn was exasperated. He was calling on people to help him, and they've just bridged back. Yeah, Alperson, I think Vermeesh, who'd crashed, did a short pull on yep. the front. Um, it got to 30 seconds, 8Ks to go. FDJ done, Lotto Sudal, three riders plus Campanats in the group. Campanats attacked when FDJ were pacing, pointless attack. Look, seriously, the guy's legs have been really good and he's got no results and he needs to think about why that's the case. And anyway, would should Lotto have paced earlier for points? Probably, to be honest, to set up Campanats a late attack. Um my biggest issue was Sturban. I think Trek completely stuffed this because, I don't know, like look at Sturban's sprints the last 18 months, two years. They're not lights out. And Laporte and Germay are legit quick guys. Uh, Laporte won, or Seki won the bunch sprint at Dwarves Du Vlanderen last year, I'm pretty sure. And Sturban's pulling the entire time with Mads Pedersen at worst second favorite in the group behind to win the bunch sprint. It made no sense. The tactical advantage of Pedersen behind is you can sit in. So I honestly think, Benji, Sturvin was like, this is my chance for leadership. I get, I, I'm not going to be Pedersen's domestique all year, but I don't think he's that good. I think he's a great like all-round rider, as we saw at Worlds, but his sprint ain't that. I think it's overrated. Ooh, I think so as well. I think so as well. When it comes to like, Full peloton sprints in the Tour de France and Anastasia wasn't very heavy. He's got an opportunity to get top 10 positions, that's for sure. But in a reduced group sprint with four riders and so forth after a heavy race, he almost always disappoints. I remember that one sprint in the Tour de France breakaway after going uh, all out where he lost from, was it Dillier at some point in a one-to-one sprint? So like these smaller sprints are not his thing and they should not have betted completely on Stive and he should have sat on earlier. And it would have likely meant the end for the front group because Gidemai skipped some turns as well, left and right. Then we saw Laporte was probably the one that pushed most and Dries van Gessel started sitting up in the final two-ish kilometers, three kilometers, something like that. And the gap went down to like 20 seconds by then and I was getting scared for both the peloton and the uh, front group. But then I saw 
the deciding factor. Sören Kra Andersen attacks in the peloton. That's when you know the tempo is not high enough. And that's when you know that the peloton's not fucking catching the breakaway today. I know. And then Movistar pacing, it's all over. Laporte, I think. I, I like the way Jumbo Visma overall played the race. Yes, whilst positioning at the bottom of Camel, not great. But Laporte in the last K, I think he'd want to have a re- rerun of that. I'm not sure the. He did like a half-hearted attack at the front under the Flamme Rouge, which just meant everyone was started sitting on him instead of waiting to go to the back of the rotation and then not pulling through. They had 20 seconds plus at that point. He then let out the whole group, not full gas, but still on the front, headwind, and got jumped by Germay into the last 200. Germay jumps early. We've seen how quick he is at U23 World Champs Road Race. We've seen how quick he is winning a race in January in uh, Mallorca. He's legit quick, jumps early. Laporte is surprised by it, doesn't get straight to his wheel, and that's where the race is over because he has to fight that little bit extra. By the time he gets to the last 25, he's only coming out of the wheel of Germay, and Germay wins again Wevelhem comfortably from a small group sprint with Dries van Gestel third, the guy who'd been working for Total, and Sturven fourth, which... Must be pretty bitter for Trek Segafredo. I think uh, Merlier winning the group sprint behind, actually, Cern Krah was somewhere in the middle, and Pedersen second in that sprint. But Germay Benji, 978 points. Before the end of March for Intermarche, he saved probably their World Tour license already before the first third of the year is done. Probably the biggest, one of the biggest wins by an African rider ever. And, um, yeah, he's only 21 years old. He's The hype's still not big enough. Yeah, the thing is, like, points aside, this is a huge thing. Like, we've been talking about this man for such a long time after he beat, oh, was it Remco Evenepoel in 2019 in uh, Stavelo or something in Belgium? So some Stavanger or something. Yeah, something like that. And... In all honesty, we, we've we seen him grow gradually throughout the years. We saw him in the podium of the U23 World Championship last year after having, honestly, the fastest sprint in that race. And then he started this year with that Mallorca Challenge victory. And we saw him on E3 getting better when it comes to the Cowles. As somewhat expected, he would be good at the Cowles, but he did still overperform compared to what I was expecting personally. And when I saw him in the group, it was either Laporte or Girmay. I did not believe in Steven or Van Gestel for this. And I was hoping Girmay would take it because uh, Joy for Cycling Globally, in the words of Goat, Carlton Kirby, like quite generally, this is not solely a victory for Girmay, but a victory for cycling in my eyes. And I think the one sobering thing is the fact that this guy at 20 years old came second in La Guelia in 2020. Yeah. Not 2021, in 2020. He was in a group with Chicone and Diego Rosa. He came second, beating Diego Rosa. And I know that's a February race. It's a decent level race, beating Vendrama and co. And he didn't get a World Tour contract. And I, I wonder, maybe he would have got a World Tour deal anyway. But Delco folded. If you don't know, he was on Delco. He signed a long-term deal. And then Intermarche picked him up after, I think, Delco were already folding. And they signed him till yep. end of 24. So... If Delco hadn't folded, would he just be? Would he have been at La Rue Tourangelle today? Yeah, the French race. Um, True. I don't know, but Intermarche, full credit to them picking him up. 
giving him the opportunities and giving him the leadership too. I want to, you know, look at Sturvin Pedersen dynamic. Alexander Kristoff's getting paid a lot more than Biniam Germay, a lot more. And often teams will be like, well, he's getting paid X. You're yep. 21 years old. You got to lead him out. You got to ride for him, even though Germay is clearly better. So, congrats to them. Kristoff was happy. They got Petit at the finish line. Intermarche, absolutely magic turnaround. I couldn't. I can't believe it. And yeah, credit to them. I didn't. I just can't believe where they've come from when we did the previews at the start of 21, where they weren't looking good. Um, so unreal. What do you? What next for Germay? Benji he says he's going back to Eritrea. And yep. then he's got the Giro. Is he winning Giro stage one? That would be hype. Vanderpool's there, so it's not going to be super easy, True. but I'd love for him to have a good result at some point in the Giro. A stage win would be nice, but already good results. Seeing him ride would be fascinating. I think he said after the race, they were like, he was on Sportza, the uh, panel after the race, speaking with the people uh, that were interviewing him. And they asked him, what, what do you really want to achieve in your career when it comes to other victories? And he was like, this is already one of my biggest races I would have liked to win. But in the future, I dream of winning Sanremo and Roubaix. But for the African, African people, I would like to show something more in Grand Tour stages. So it's certainly a goal of him to do well in a Grand Tour stage and get victories in Grand Tour stages. So I'd love to see that happen for certain. And yeah, Sanremo is certainly something that fits him. But we know it's a bit of a lottery. So... He's slowly but surely getting better and better, and it means that he's also slowly but surely going to become uh, an outsider towards a favorite in races. And the more he's a favorite, it's going to be harder to win races, but I'm so fucking glad he won today. So happy. Like, this is uh, this is big. I love it. Yeah, Laporte probably, he looked fast coming out of the wheel. I'm not sure what would have happened if he timed it a little bit better. I still think it's better for him to have that opportunity there ahead of Tour of Flanders. Jumbo Visma still looking lethal for that race. When it comes to quick step, this is according to Wouty from the LRCP community, the first time since 2009 that they're not in the top 30 of Gendwevelgem. Crazy. Wow. Huh? They're not having a great classic so far. I mean, it can all be Turner. If you win Tour of Flanders, everything is forgotten. Yep. But we did do that video, that clip, sorry, at the end of the other pod where we're like not looking they look like a shadow of their 2021 which is not all like seneschal crash today but yeah asgrin without a sprinter paired with him or a, a ballerini on form or without an Philippe, it's he's in the wouts position of last year yep. women's hand available him on at the same time, it finished about an hour after the men's from Hent to Wevelheim. They don't do as many of the climbs, uh, but they still have that same finale with the Camelberg, the steep side with 600 metres to 12% of cobbles, and then a flat cross headwind finish for 34 kilometres into Wevelheim. We had Balsamo here, Bieber's, Kapeki, Voss, Grace Brown, who was really good at this time last year, Norsgaard. Stacked star list. Uh, I don't think we had, we had, yeah, no Van Vluten because Norsgaard's their leader. To be honest, this played out exactly as SD Work should have played the race and Trek. It was like every team really did what they were supposed to do, but mm -hmm. the win just didn't play into their favor. Last year there was crosswind, this year just sort of headwind. Our SD Works. I don't know. Could they could they have done anything different, Benji? How did it, how did it play out? It was them just basically rolling attacks, trying to go clear, and Van Dyke and Longo Borghini bring it back. 
Yeah, quite certainly. And I think they tried to get away quite a few times on. I think it was on the Barnabet or Monteberg that Kopecky tried to attack together with Anna Henderson of Jumbo Visma with Leona Lippert of DSM and Nijadoma of Canyon Sram. So they tried left and right, the teams that don't necessarily have the best sprinter at the start line, Noddy Wibbers and Abel Samo, to get ahead. And Jumbo was also a very offensive team in that, just like SD Works was. And I swear that I noticed um, a puncture or mechanical of Balsamo after the Camelberg, which was with 52 kilometers to go. I didn't necessarily see how she, how swiftly she managed to get back, but she was back in the peloton, that's for sure. And then we saw a crash by Wibbers. So the other sprinter also had trouble. And with Wibbers crashing, it was, it was done for when it comes to DSM, when it comes to their sprinter. So she was not going to be contesting today's victory, unfortunately for her. And we'd have to look at the best sprinter in the race at that point is on paper, Balsamo. But again, other teams are not happy with that. Other teams don't want to uh, have Balsamo winning. So Kopecky tries to go again with uh, Henderson once again, with Lebecki, with Royster, with Cavalli, and FDJ also trying to attack left and right. And I, I think on the last Camelbet, we saw Grace Brown doing some stuff, right? Grace Brown, goat. She's looking good. I'm keen to see how she goes in Brabant and Liège, if she's bringing this sort of form and putting the peloton under pressure, to be honest. Not just there. We then basically transitioned. She was brought back after Camel. Huge group. Balsamo there for Trek. Everyone's obviously terrified of her. Um, and, but they got Van Dyke and Longerborg Dini fully committed. So we mentioned this in the Trek preview. That pairing is not just oh, they got three fantastic riders. The way they work together, TT, Champ, Longaborghini, great one-day consistent racer, and then a fast finisher that can get over a Berg, lethal combo. And attacks from Royce, attacks from Chantal Vlindenbrook Black, attack late from Grace Brown. Yumbo seemed pretty content to go for Voss. She won this last year. She dusted everyone. They had Henderson there. Um, but yeah, Grace Brown was the last to attack what did you think about the Ellen Van Dyke uh, bike path move? We always talk about this, Benji. If she gets DSQ'd, it doesn't matter because she she went on the bike path, moved up all the right. I don't know if she was forced there, and she chased down Grace Brown in the last two Ks. I guess. Anyway, I'm just I'm clutching yeah, at something interesting in this finish. It wouldn't have influenced the reins after that too much more, except for like the positioning of Balsamo into the sprint per se, because Van Dyke was honestly. From the entire peloton, Ellen van Dijk was the MVP in this race. She has closed every bloody attack for Balsamo as leader during the entire lead-up after the climbs. Even on the climbs was doing work. And yeah, top-notch performance. We know that she's great and she's shown it once again. But like you said, there was a lot of people attacking. And at a certain point, there was a moment where van Dijk was even in a front group with Balsamo in the second group. And van Dijk got called back from the front group to the second group, you literally saw her reaching for the radio and just waiting on the right side of the road and then pacing that second group back to the front, like incredible performance. And the question then is, is Balsamo going to beat the other sprinters in the group? We've got Mariana Voss looking good with a lot of teammates still. And I think Yambo also helped out with closing down Grace Brown there with Rihanna Marcus, who tried to get away a few times as well. And we know that Kopecky's a sprinter because Lona Kunikin has been attacking left and right as well for SD Works. And when it comes to other sprinters, who was left at that point, you think? It was Confal Con I'm having an Adam Blythe moment. Con Falonieri, Capecchi, Norsgaard, Bastianelli, Anderson, Caponi, Voss, Balsamo, 
Ertid Solo. So she was leading out Bastianelli. So we still have a lot of sprinters, but yeah, no Vibers. And it's the women's sprinters lists are very polarized. It's a lot more straightforward than the men's, in my view. Vibers without a broken rear spoke, top. Balsamo, next. And there's like chasms between them all. In fact, Balsamo and Vibers might not be big, but Balsamo is legit quick. Voss, I think, not looking as fast straight away and Balsamo not in the perfect position again, but she opens her sprint early into a headwind. Everyone's fanned across to the right of her and they weren't in her wheel for that long and we can just see Voss did not have the kick to draw level. We had Confalonieri <laughs> fanning out to the right, pushing Kopecky to the right. I think Susanna Anderson for Unix. It was a bit of a chaos behind Balsamo. Balsamo takes the win. She won Trofeo Alfredo Binder in the World Champs bands. What an incredible signing for Trek Alfredo. What marketing. Italian World Champ on Italian team, just or half Italian team, cleaning up these massive races. And yeah, she, she won Brugge de Pana, sorry, before in the three days ago. It's ridiculous how yeah. good she is. 24 years old. Monumental because, like, let's be honest, Binda also before that she won a stage in Valenciana as well. Though four victories already, and it's gonna keep on coming based on this. I've said it on the Depona uh, recap. I think that she's a clear contender for that first yellow jersey at the Tour de France Femme. And I want to declare, probably the first time in the history of the LRCP podcast, that a complete team preview hot take section of the same podcast has been fully complete because. Your hot take for Trek Segafredo women was that Dainan was not going to win in 2022. Obviously, her pregnancy helped you with that. But when it comes to uh, the other take, it was Balsamo winning Hint and the Oxyclean Classic. Well, then again, they renamed it. So does that reject the hot take or what do you think? I don't know if it's hot. I know everyone's, you, know everyone, you know what everyone's going to comment now. It's not a hot take now. Yeah, we knew that would happen. <laughs> we already knew that happened. And then, and then when I tweet... Lucas Plaff's a better GC rider than Remco. Imagine in a year, everyone will be like, oh, that was obvious. That was obvious at the time. <laughs> I think meanwhile, I'm getting abused <laughs> about it. But yeah, Balsamo, Trek chemistry looks unreal. they got to be really happy. It's one of the teams where they all get paid uh, the riders the same minimum wage as the men. So like everyone gets paid relative to other salaries in women's cycling um, pretty well. And does that make a difference? Of course, I don't know exactly, but it can't hurt team chemistry and people wanting to ride for Trek as well. If you can get paid more there as a domestique than you might get as a co-leader at other teams. But yeah, that was Ken Vabelkham. A huge win for Balsamo. Voss second, Confolonieri. Big big result for her, for Ceres. Is it third? Kopecky, Norsgaard, Bastianelli, Anderson, Dronova on the Roland Coggia squad. Uh, Persico Coponi rounding out the top 10. Could SD Works have done anything different? I think Kopecky's got to be more Wout Van Aert 2022 than Wout Van Aert 2021. Uh, she's never winning these sprints. She's not winning them. So she yeah, has to but, full send climbs. Yeah, but I think she did uh, before. Like I know, she did. Yeah. yeah, she did. I think it just didn't work and... Like, when it comes to the sprints, I've never seen her as the top sprinter in the women's peloton. There's always been Wibbers and Balsamo and so forth. So she's that outsider type, like a Norsgaard, like a Voz as well. Voz with a pretty strong sprint at the end of today's uh, stage as well, to be honest. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm thinking that Kopecky is just better for the uh, 
pure cobble races now than for the sprinty tires because there's better options right now in other teams that are that are better there. And we, we thought that they would play more defensively, perhaps, that they had for Kopecky, but the fact that Balsamo stepped forward this much from last year made it that they can't trust Kopecky's sprint anymore at his D-work. So Trek won there when it comes to the uh, having a sprinter behind the scenes ready to strike if all else, uh, if the attacks don't happen. Sometimes it's just a headwind and there's nothing you can really do. It's going to be a sprint. And that's sort of what happened today in Hen-Vavelhem women's. Otherwise, just rounding out the results, the Stage 7 in Barcelona was a little bit of a uh, a, a fizz, fizzed out. Um, 140K circuit stage, GC guys sort of attacked each other, Carapaz tried, and then it all came back together when Almeida and Ayuso refused to pace for each other. And Bagioli, who we haven't seen all day, the quick step, uh, dusted Volta at Barcelo in the sprint. Are you so coming forth? That being a little bit boring, though, was welcomed by Igita and Bora, who did a very, very good job today, shut down the race. Igita very, very strong on all the climbs, so completely in control, and he takes GC, a huge win for him. His first World Tour yeah. GC win at a Carapaz, Almeida, Quintana, Ayuso, Akonu Hannison, Martin, and Torsten Train on oh, Omen came 10th. Didn't know. Um, but yeah, good win for Igita. Yeah, I think so as well. And like, what is it with the final stage of Catalonia and Attila Walter coming out of nowhere into the top three? This is the second year in a row that he does that. And I think it's part of the fact that he's a really good descender from his mountain bike history. And those descends, those like straightforward descends, are ones that he's really good at, apparently, because yeah, a strong kick as well, getting second behind Bajoli here. I do want to add once again that if Ayuso and Almeida worked for each other, they could have gotten at least a podium here, quite clearly in my opinion. And that is both sides. Almeida doing lead out for Ayuso would have worked for Ayuso. Ayuso doing lead out for Almeida would have worked for Almeida. It's a car issue in my eyes at this point. If they don't declare a leader at a stage, they can't expect their uh, riders to ride for each other at the end. Otherwise, and GP Industria, uh, 1.0 Pro race, actually quite a nice race, which Bernal's competed at before. Ulysses won a sprint ahead of Fidelian and Murissa, and LaRue Torangel, Buani beat Cocard in a sprint. Uh, uh, you haven't mentioned, uh, sorry, I haven't mentioned Lotto Sudal. I mentioned riders just then from Arkea, from Cofidis. Intermarche won bloody, and Vavoham with Total third. Lotto in big trouble. Uh, there'll be the relegation points battle piece, the article on lanternrouge.com.au from Raul and myself dropping tomorrow, and there'll be big changes. 500 points for Gurmai and the other... Like, Quintana Benji's on nearly 1,000 points. Like, yep. for, I mean, his Catalonia result, a bit meh. And, you know, a lot of, on my Lantern Rouge in Espanol channel, people are like, oh, Quintana went out. I'm like, yeah, but he still came, f- like, fourth. Still, yeah, and still a lot of points. The thing with Lotto is as well that, like, at the start we were very negative in our in our preview when it comes to our expectations of Lotto when it comes to uh, making it through this season when it comes to the relegation thing. I didn't believe they would avoid relegation with the plan that they had on the table, and you went out of probably the most important races of the season for him when it comes to point scoring. Sanremo, the Pona, and so forth. Well, that's a that's like getting a, a sword smashed to your wheel. Like, you're not going to ride too much longer with that. So that's not good when it comes to the points. And I um I still think they're fucked, as simple as that. 
Yeah, they're looking in trouble as well as Israel. EF also haven't done anything. Betiel sickness won't have helped. They they need Uran to top ten, like the the tour. Like they need him to. Um, yeah, they're in tr- they're looking not good as well. But that was a huge week of racing coming up. We have the Ronde van Vlaanderen preview dropping on Wednesday night on Podcast Place Thursday during the day on YouTube. We've got Dwarz do a Vlaanderen during the week. I still don't know what, what its purpose is, but it exists in this world too, so I guess. Yeah. Tour of Flanders next Sunday and then straight into Basque country. I'm going away on Tuesday, but I'll keep on podding. So you won't that's not you won't see the back of me yet, Benji. Hope you all enjoyed the last week of coverage and we'll see you during the week. Ciao. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 